Welcome to The Braveyard. Today's guest is an incredibly talented musician with multiple viral songs. They're a Cali local and have toured with other artists like Lauren Sanderson and G Flip. They are a mental health and trans right activist whose storytelling through their music has moved us all. Their music is a safe haven for those feeling alone or isolated, and their shows are a safe space for everybody to be themselves. They are somebody that I admire greatly, and I could not be more excited to welcome to the podcast. So please give a warm welcome to the incredibly talented and absolutely inspiring Mickey Ratzla. Hi, Mickey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? So good. I'm so honored to have you on here. Obviously, I'm a massive fan, and it's just a complete privilege to sit down and get to chat with you. And have been a massive fan. Me and my partner both are. Um... I just want to kind of dive in and start off. Obviously, this podcast is about inspiring bravery and courage and inspiration, you know, specifically for the queer community and for our trans youth. And you are somebody that is such an advocate and you're so vulnerable with your storytelling. Where did that come from? Where do you find the ability to just go so raw and empathetic in your music? I think uh, I. It's funny. I feel like I. I should know. Um, I should know where it comes from. Um, I think just uh, as long as I can remember, I've always been someone who, in my circle, um, is very. I just. I have always loved talking about myself and sharing my experience. And um, I don't know if it's like partly the entertainer in me since I was a child was always talking about myself and wanting to be on camera and just wanting to, you know, be an open book. Um, but I think, uh, I feel like just, I've just always wanted to, I've always been like a, a touchy person. I've always wanted to like hug all my friends. I always wanted to talk to all my friends. I always wanted to like be someone who just like talked about everything. Um, and it's funny because I feel like when I reflect on my childhood and, and the way like I was raised, you wouldn't think that that would have harbored me being so open about my emotions and everything. It feel you feel like it would do the opposite. So that's where I'm kind of confused because I don't know where like it came from. But I think just when I started writing music, I wrote music purely as a tool for myself to process things I was feeling, and it just felt right and it felt like the way I was intended to make music, and it and it helped me process things and, and heal your things and also celebrate certain things and I think I the first time I put out a song that was very vulnerable and authentic and I saw what it did to people I think that was just like oh okay so I'll just keep doing this like this clearly matters to people and it felt right to me to make music like that and to see that it impacted people's lives and affected them I just felt like if I feel comfortable doing it and I have the privilege to do it safely then why wouldn't I um and so I think it just kind of came from it just happened and then I stuck with that type of thing but I really haven't thought too far of where it came from but I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be able to be in this place within myself right I can be so open yeah and I think it's 
something that we need in our community right now. Um, you know, when we look at what's happening constantly in media and it, you know, media surrounds our life now, there's really no escaping it. And when you're seeing headlines constantly and just fear and discrimination thrown at you every day, like I'm comfortable in my transition. I consider myself privileged. You know, I live in Vancouver, Canada. Um, (laughs) And so I don't go up against majority of the discrimination that happens around the globe, but it's still defeating for me. So I can't imagine how it feels living in, you know, unsafe conditions and unsafe neighborhoods. And, you know, especially in the States now with all of this legislation that's coming through, it just, yeah. it gets really overwhelming. And yeah, I think that having an escape through music, which has always been one of my biggest um, tools for healing personally, mm-hmm. it's just music was my escape from bullying and from, you know, everything I was raised by a single parent that was working all the time. And that was my way of just shutting out the world. And right being able to go inward and feel safe was in music. Mm-hmm. And so you provide that now um, in such a, a terrific, vulnerable way where people just get instantly lost in it. And your storytelling and all of your lyrics is so raw and authentic. And I think that that's something that's it's crucial for our community to have and celebrate right now. I appreciate that. And I, I think that also, like, going back to your last question, like, also is why I felt such a desire to make such authentic music is, is um, because I, you know, I always say that I'm, I'm trying to just be the artist that I wish I had growing up. And I, I wish, um, I just know I would have probably saved myself a lot of, uh, a lot of time from some dark thoughts and places. Um, but ultimately, you know, everyone's journey is, 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 it's why I'm here. But I think that's also part of it. It's like, I just really want to be this artist that I wish I had growing up and, and, which is why I don't hesitate to be so open about my story and my journey and whether that's in my music or whether it's just in the way I, you know, present myself on stage or just talk about my experience um, is it's tied into exactly that as well. Like if I have this platform and I have this privilege to do so safely, why wouldn't I use this platform to, you know, be as, be as honest as I can. And honestly, we're all grateful for it. So sure. um, just you touched on your childhood a little bit, and I'd love to hear just a little bit of the early years of your life. I think, you know, specifically for non-binary people uh, in my transition and my experience, I was thrown into a binary, obviously male um, gender role throughout my childhood. But I'm curious to know what it's like in a non-binary perspective where I assume you were thrown into a gender role as well. And there, it wasn't necessarily that you wanted to transition into another gender role, but you weren't associating with the gender that you were being placed into either. Can you tell me a little bit about what that discovery was like for you? Yeah. So I, I feel like I've always known I've always known deep down I wasn't a cis woman. I just knew that. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what the vocabulary was for it. I just had this this feeling. Um, and there's one of my favorite things I ever like found out about myself was that this uh, this video. My I'm um, thank God my dad was someone who like filmed all the time. Like I had so much footage of me as a child. And there's a video of me being I was four years old and um, I had like in my bathroom 
I'd put like a bathroom sign and some made up word. I made it up. I, I have it tattooed on my leg. It's like A-I-K-M-O-H. And I said, Ikemo. And I like wrote this on my bathroom door. And there's a video of me telling my dad, like, this bathroom is the boys' bathroom. Like my bathroom is the boys' bathroom. And I like made this, and it was just this whole thing, like very clearly me at that age. That was my way of being like, this is my bathroom and this is a boy's bathroom. And obviously at that, when I'm four years old, I don't know what being non-binary is. I just knew, I must've known like the al- the alternative of what I am is this at the time. Yeah. Um, and so when I remember when I first saw that video and I, I'd seen that video before, before my gender journey and I was just like, oh, that's so cute and funny. And I'm just being a little kid. And then once I, you know, really came to terms with my, my identity and came out and, and have, you know, got my gender affirming care and everything. And watching that video now from this perspective, I was like, oh my God, like that's me knowing who I am. And it just like really, I don't know if you felt like this too. I feel like, like when you're later into your transition and, and, you know, coming to terms with your identity and you reflect on moments in your childhood and your upbringing and being like, you, you know, provide context for yourself. You're like, that's why I was thinking that thing. Totally. That's why I said those things. And so I feel like that's what I've been doing a lot is realizing like, like just, it's, it's just very affirming to be like, I knew all along, like my, and that's, I wish, you know, that, that kid knew, you know, I could tell them that, you know, everything's going to be okay. But um, yeah, I was definitely like always expected to wear dresses and, you know, always celebrated for my pretty long hair. And um, I played a lot of soccer though. So I, I was very clearly like a tomboy and very clearly like, I, I, I never wanted to wear the dress with my mom and I used to fight about it all the time. Um, and, but it was just was what was expected. But I think like, because I played soccer and I'm such like a tomboy and sporty person, mm-hmm. like it wasn't as intense either. Cause I was like, always just like at a soccer field. So I didn't really go anywhere either where I was, you know, expected to dress a certain way like that, you know, that happens sometimes, but um yeah i remember when i when i came out so i, I came out as what well, she came out as like queer um like in 2016 when i started uh dating my now wife um mm-hmm. uh, that was um basically i was just like i'm not straight you know this is my partner and that's all that i know and that's all that matters yeah and my family was like super cool with it and i i knew that i knew everything would be fine but it wasn't until i realized that i was non-binary and came to terms with that like throughout i think covid was really when the lockdown first happened, that's where I was just like forced to sit with all these thoughts yeah. and forced to sit with, with, with these thoughts that I was burying down for so long. I had a lot of internalized transphobia because, um, you know, I think when I first cut my hair, people were like, oh, you're going to end up trans that we know it. And I was like, you know, I hate when people tell you what your journey is. It's like the most disheartening thing people can do. Totally. Yeah. And because I felt that pressure to prove people wrong. I like built all this hatred towards like my trans identity and and so I just like shoved it down and didn't think about it and so and, like lockdown happened it just it got to a point where like I couldn't handle it anymore I had to like be honest with myself and I remember like I feel like I was like okay I don't know how to explain being non-binary to my parents like to my family like I like I I, I feel like a lot of I think it's similar to people who um, are bi I feel the same same thing they don't feel gay enough they don't feel straight enough like they feel this weird in between where people don't understand yeah and i think it it feels very similar as a non-binary person it's, it's, there's not this there's this lack of understanding like what do you mean you're just not either because you know as you know it takes un- unlearning the entire gender binary to understand uh yeah. you know gender um 
And it was difficult at first. And I think, um, you know, it was just more of like, they didn't understand. I mean, they, they both responded differently and, and they were ultimately like very loving. But it was definitely like me and my mom, especially like we butt heads for like a couple months after. Like it was like, you know, adjusting to my pronouns was hard. Like adjusting to just like not seeing me as a daughter was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something that was really helpful was like going back to that video I found when I was four. Um, that was something that was really cool to like connect with, like with my dad. Because he filmed it. And then when I, you know, came out to him and everything, I was like, dad, remember this video? Like, that's that. And it was like, it was cool to watch him have this like aha moment of like, oh my God, you know, and, and just like seeing like just evidence of like who I am and who I've always been. Totally. Yeah. Um, and validation of like, look, yeah. this was me. All of this has always been me, you know? This yeah. Isn't, yeah. It's not new. <laughs> yeah. And it, and it's, it's, um, I feel like I'm just in this period of my life where I'm, you know, doing a lot of reflecting on my childhood and upbringing. And like I said, like pro- I continuously provide context for, certain memories I have where I'm like, oh, I, I said this or did this or, or whatever. I'm like, oh, it's because I had these thoughts, but I didn't know at the time what that meant. And that. Um, but overall, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I had a very uh, safe upbringing when it came to my queerness. Um, um, you know, my parents helped pay for my top surgery and all that stuff, which I'm very, I'm very, I knew I was never at risk of losing my home or my family. Yeah. You know, it wasn't, you know, my mom and I had a really rough couple months, but um you know, I knew my safety was not a risk. So mm-hmm. I, that was, that was very, that was very obviously um, nice. That, that was not something I had to worry about, but yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun reflecting on your childhood and, and providing context. And I think it's, um, it's, it's a very bittersweet feeling because there's a part of me that I'm like, being right. Like, I wish I knew then. Like, I wonder what, you know, totally. but then, but then also I'm like, but if I, you know, I'm here because of my own journey and I wouldn't yeah. be the same person or, or that. So, yeah. And I think I'm going through a lot of similar things. Like you talked about internalized transphobia and I didn't even realize how deep that was for me. Yeah. Um, Until, you know, I, we haven't publicly announced our relationship yet, but my partner's trans. And I think by the time this airs, we'll have announced it anyways. So, um, what with me and him, we've known each other since we were 13 years old and we were best friends. Wow. We wow. just he transitioned well before I did. And then he was such a, a guiding light for me when I came to terms with my trans identity. Mm-hmm. Um and he he's a musician. Like he had gone off and you know, he got married. I was in other relationships. We always just cheered each other on. And then him and his ex split, me and him started our first company together. Um, and we just, you know, we spent every single day together. We were traveling for work together. We got so close, like his family became my family. It was just this really close knit unit, but never for a moment were we looking at each other like, oh, like this could be my person. It was just like, this is my, you know, my work husband. I love him dearly. He's the most special person in my life, but it just never clued in. And I think like one night after a friend's birthday, we were both just like a little bit liquored and I think I leaned in or something, but like the second that we kind of clicked that that is something, it was just like, you've been right in front of me my entire life and we've never been able to come to terms. And I think part of that is just because 
there's almost like a validation as a trans person and you're dating a, a cis person, there's mm-hmm. like a validation in your gender identity. Yeah. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not positive and it's definitely internalized transphobia. But as a trans person, I found that I was constantly searching for validation of my gender identity being perceived by other people. And I wasn't validating my divine feminine myself. So if I was dating a trans man, there was almost like a, a stigma attached to what does that mean for me in, in my divine feminine? You know, like yeah. it just, yeah, it's so strange how internalized things go. But like, I'm so glad that I was able to work through that. And, you know, Cass has shared that some of his experience was similar, that we just, we couldn't see past it to get to right. where we are now. And now I'm in the happiest relationship of my entire life. Like we own amazing companies. Thank you. Yeah. He's just the most fantastic person I've ever been blessed to know in my life. But I feel like when you find your person, you know, you're recently ish married, right? Yes. yes. Um, and when you find your person, your gender identity, your queerness, like everything, it's just, it's not even a feeling anymore. It's just your yeah. heat with your partner. Yeah. Nothing you have to explain. It's nothing you have to try to justify or help them understand. You just find a place where you're like, okay, like this is safety. This is home. This is yeah. where I can recharge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I feel like uh, my, my wife and I have been together for uh, almost eight years now. So oh, we, congratulations. She's, she's, thank you. She's been, uh, She's been with me my entire journey. So, like when we met, I still identified as a sister woman, and I had like you know I'm just a completely different person. So, she's been my rock through you know all of my you know my entire identity crisis, and um, she you know provided me this space and comfort to explore that side of me. And um, it is funny though how much internalized transphobia really fucks you up though. It's like I I remember like like right before like lockdown happened like that's where I was like really not in a good place like I, I had so much I was like I'm so unhappy I have so much dysphoria but I you know and um I remember like any time like a trans masked person came up on blind or on a tv show or anything I just felt such like anger I was so like oh they're annoying or whatever like I was just like said stupid comments or whatever I'd be like I would ask my wife and I was like do you think they're cute? Like you like them or something? Like you, you, you know, and I, like, what do you mean? Like you, you think they're cute or whatever? And she, like, and I realized it was like, I, I wanted to be that person so bad. And I was so jealous that they got to, they were fully what I wish I could come to terms with. Right. And I, I found myself like, I think it was a part of me like testing to see if like she's cool with them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and then I was like, well, if you like them, then like maybe in, inside I was like, well, maybe you'd like me if I was like that or like, would you? Because it, like I knew she'd be like, it, there's obviously a little bit of a learning curve, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I have so much, I have so much understanding for, you know, I am changing in our relationship. Like what you know me to be is different, but, you know, I understand it, it, it you know, there's changing and all that, but um, so yeah, she just um, she just gave me such a safe space to navigate everything and and vice versa. Like you know, I I we had so many conversations and and I uh, you know where I allowed her to feel what she needed to feel and and how I felt what I needed to feel and we learned together and we we navigated this together and then you know she 
you know, helped me with my drains. Talked to her and she talked about she like helped me wipe my butt. And she was very, which is very TMI, but she wrapped it up the other day. And she was like, it's so cute that I had to like wipe your butt when you were like with surgery. And I was like, that's very sweet. And she's like, I love that I got to do that. And I was like, I am so grateful for you. But it's, um, I'm grateful for you. Not grateful you had to do that. Grateful yeah, I'm you. so sorry. But yeah, but um, it's, it's, uh, I mean, she's, she is incredible and, and is so, so uh just makes me feel so safe and and it's very you know understanding and affirming um you know i feel so at peace within my identity around her and you know like she's a she's a finishing up her bfa at school for um, amazing interior architecture and her uh thesis is about um building a wellness center that's about inclusivity and, oh, yeah. and making a safe space for trans people and gender non-conforming people and it's just like cool watching her like implement that into her like work and her passion. Um, wow. And yeah, she's, she's the best. And it's just, I, I really reflect on a lot of the conversations I had while I was not okay with myself and having that, all that internalized transphobia. And I'm like, wow, I was so mean to these poor people on online. <laughs> like, and I never said anything publicly, of course. Like, uh, of I course. Would, like, I, you know, I would just like see these things and I, I knew where it was coming from. And I asked my wife too after and she's like i knew, i could tell like that was you just ha- having a lot of like your internalized shit um totally. but you know she she understood that i needed to have that and i and i and she and i'm glad that she you know let me have that process she like kind of knew that it was there but i'm glad she didn't intervene in a way of like i needed to come to terms with it myself and um it's uh yeah it's, it's it is also just amazing how how much like your person can like just completely change you know the world for you totally and i think that safety is what is so mental and nourishing for queer individuals because we grow up feeling extremely unsafe in majority of conditions yeah. like i'm not saying right that, you know every queer person has an, an unsafe feeling um in their childhood but majority of us have whether it's right. from bullying or, you know, online harassment or, you know, your parents being unsupportive or family members, it's, there's a lot of queer people have gone through a feeling of unsafety. And when you find safety in a partner, it really just allows you to nourish yourself and mm-hmm. understand how to treat yourself with kindness because yeah. you're being shown that, you know? And yeah. I think it's, beautiful there's one thing that parents i feel like are always concerned about and even my partner's parents who are the most incredible supportive advocates for the trans community um you know they said that one of the first fears is like okay but who is going to love you like who is going to be your partner and what does this mean for you in your future i want you to have love yeah yeah um, and that's i feel like it's just such a misconception that trans people have a hard time finding love because it's not yeah we have a hard time finding love for ourselves majority of the time, a lot harder yeah. than we do finding a partner. Isn't um, it wild how that's like, it's, it just shows that there's this idea that there's no way, like we're these freaks. There's no way someone can love you. You know, trans that's people like, are unlovable. A hundred percent. Like that that's narrative. Just, it's wild. Yeah. And that's, that's another part, like going back again to like talking about like my music and, and all that, like that's another thing that on top of just talking about like my experience as a trans person and my journey. Um, I also want to show that like trans people can be loved and have long, healthy relationships and, and queer love and celebrating queer loves and, um, 
and um it's been cool like when i'm when i'm when i've been on like on tour and i've met people and some people i meet a lot of couples who are similar to me and my wife who are like one trans person one cis person and and you know the the cis partner is always telling me that you know they learn so much from my wife and they look up to my wife and how she is in my relationship and and then you know it's just cool that like that on separately from from me as an individual like our, our relationship can also be a good example for trans and queer love and and um sharing that authentically um because it really is it it's such a sad narrative that's like that you what six billion people in this world and you think like every single one is going to think trans person is unlovable like what do you mean you know? right i know i uh and there is such a narrative around trans people of being unlovable and it's something me and my partner have both dealt with uh, mm -hmm. of like feeling unlovable and you know you go through your own experience of gender identity when you're transitioning and when you're coming to terms with that where i think that is kind of a question of like what does that mean for me in terms of love? And it wasn't really until I was loving myself where I mm -hmm. allowed myself to be loved by the right person. And I just think yeah. that that's a journey, whether you're trans, whether you're a straight cis person, I just don't think that you'll ever find the person that will help inspire you to be you until you kind of start that journey yourself. Like there's a lot yeah. of people that can help and teach you things along the way. But when you're in, a place of self-deprivation and and you know depression and anxiety it i found that for myself i clung a lot easier to people that were kind of consuming that toxic narrative in my life rather than mm -hmm. stepping into something healthy and pushing myself and going to uncomfortable places of healing and yeah and challenging my own narratives and you know my own internalized transphobia that i had that i didn't even realize yeah. i yeah. had until it was came time to the fact that my my partner is trans mask and what that meant for me and my validation of um you know my female gender identity so yeah. it's wild how much just psychological learning you do as a trans person constantly i feel like i'm always learning something new something yeah different and it's such a shitty feeling to you to be like man I am so embarrassed. I had such internalized transphobia. Like I, I, I yeah. beat myself up for it all the time. Um, which you know, it's not going to be helpful for me to do because I've, I've grown past it. But um, it is just, it's wild. It's it's um, and it's frustrating, and it and it and it like breaks my heart that I felt those things about myself and other trans people, and. Um, it's interesting, actually, because as a public person, um, I will get comments every once in a while about, uh, I mean, I get plenty of things, but like specifically about, um, basically, I've gotten comments from people that I can tell they're going through the similar thing of like, they're projecting their fears and insecurities onto me because they're dealing with their own gender identity crisis and internalized transphobia, that they're doing to me what I did like when I was watching TV of a trans person or something. Mm -hmm. And I don't ever, I usually don't respond, you know, because it's like, I'll get them in my DMs and I open them and whatever. But it's it's interesting because now being on this side where people will say such, you know, certain things where I'm like, I know where it's, I, could, I read it and I know where it's coming from. And I, mm -hmm. you know, if anything, sometimes I'm like, you know, I send you love on your journey type of thing. But most of the time I don't respond because, you know, it's just a lot. But 
it's interesting now being on this side and getting messages and, and being able to decode when yeah. it's coming from a place of that because I know what that's like and I know that thought process. And I've even gotten a message from someone like who like maybe a couple of years ago had said something and then like they reached out to me and were like, hey, I'm realizing like I said really shitty things to you. Turns out I'm also trans and had this thing and wow. that's why I was mean to you. And, and I was like, wow, I, I relate to you. I know that feeling like, I appreciate your apology and I, I really appreciate that you even thought about reaching back out to me, but it's very interesting now being on the receiving end of it, but also being able to know where it's coming from. So I have empathy. I understand. It, yeah. It's still shitty. It's like not nice. Um, Cause at least I never said anything directed to anybody, but you know what I mean? It's, well, and especially uh, it's now everyone has like the finger warrior, you know, trigger happy to type something on a comment or whatever, but, I mean, it is kind of beautiful in a weird way that that experience has now allowed you to identify when that's happening, provide empathy for that person, but also like have security in the way you feel of like, okay, cool. I don't need to take that on. I know exactly what they're going through and it has yeah. nothing to do with me. Yeah, it's been very, I think that's like the biggest lesson I've had to learn in the last couple of years is like learning what it's when I don't need to take on something, when I should just block something or delete some, delete a comment or block someone. You know, sometimes I'm in the mood to say something back and sometimes it feels nice. You know, like sometimes yeah. I like to be a little silly and I'll comment back. But for the most part, to learning that I don't, you know, being, being also like somewhat public life, people feel very entitled to your time and space and your energy. Totally. And I've had to learn how to establish that boundary of like, just because you send me something doesn't mean I need to interact with it or respond to it. And, and I'm not even talking, like, of course, like, I'm only talking about, like, the negative stuff. Like, mostly. Totally. But um, learning to do that has helped a lot and to be able to separate myself from that and realizing, like, most of the time it is not personal. As much as it can come off very personal if someone's saying horrendous stuff to me, I know it's coming from their own shit and it says stuff about them and not about me, but this is, you know, it still hurts, you know, stuff, stuff still hurts to read, but I'm, I'm learning to, you know, kind of learn how to process it and also just be able to protect my peace. Um, cause otherwise it, it would not be great if I did not take it. No. And I think that's something important to talk about is protecting our peace because that's part of why me and my partner haven't announced yet. You know, I have had a more public life over the last two years. He um, was, you know, uh, in a documentary called Crow's Transformation that follows uh, the transition of a trans mask model going back into um, his modeling career after transition and what that meant for him. And, you know, because we've both lived in public light, we understand the weight that comes with that to a degree. Mm -hmm. And for, you know, the first while we just we wanted to have our little love bubble for lack of better words, of just like, yeah. okay, like we know what happens when everything's out there in public and people feel very entitled to their opinion on you and your life and what's happening. Mm -hmm. And I've had just like awful, awful things said. And I've had death threats and I've had, yeah. you know, people that you just read some things sometimes. And honestly, sometimes like the death threats and the harmful ones are almost like, a little bit more comical to me and mm -hmm. how they phrase everything but it's like the ones that are just like i wish you like absolutely no happiness in your life blah 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 blah. that kind of yeah. thing i'm like holy fuck man you don't know me and i'm yeah. like i'm a decent person like just yeah chill it, the fuck it out is, 
it is wild being uh it's like it comes in waves that being like oh yeah you know, i won't get anything for a little bit and then there'll be a period of time where for like two weeks straight like every day i wake up and there's like 10 new comments saying this stuff on like a certain post you know yes totally and, i um, think they have little groups where they find someone's page and then they share it in like a little yeah hateful well, facebook a, a group and then they all do it i've been posted on lids of tiktok on twitter which was the worst day of my life uh it was i don't remember it was a video from like a year ago i think of something about my top surface cars and like i my video was shared on there and i made the mistake of going and looking at it and then very quickly, I like blocked their account and, and just like, it, it sucks because also, you know how many comments and shit I've reported and nothing happens? I don't think totally. anything I've reported has ever been taken down to yeah, this day. Same. And, and yeah. I've received, and um, uh, and then there's apparently there was, I got a bunch of comments on a video and someone's like, there's a whole Facebook page dedicated to like hating on shit like this or whatever. And, and realizing like, when I started realizing like some, how evil some people are that they're mm. to the point where it's like broadcasting me to be hated on versus just some trolls online who are just bigots who are just asshole people and you know send one comment and that's it like that is like it hurts and it doesn't feel great like hearing that people want you dead does not feel great however it's very it's somewhat easy to be like you are quite literally nobody to me and it doesn't matter but mm-hmm. it's it's when it when when I've experienced these moments of like this broadcast about it about my page and my identity, it's like and that's scary because especially on like a huge page of like libs of TikTok, like that that's like the, that's the times I get like actually scared because also I'm like I don't even know how insane all those people are and totally. how and what they're capable of, but also. That's when I get like waves of comments and stuff. And that's when it can be overwhelming. Like everyone once in a while, it's easy. But when I'm getting like multiple a yeah. day, it just it's it's hard not to take that on and, and not to dwell on it. And and just that reality. Like, you know, I'm I live in California, so I'm very, very safe here. And I yeah. have a very good group of friends, a very good and they're all queer. So I'm in a very good bubble. And so every once in a while, though, it is important for me to remind myself that I do live in a bubble that like outside of this state, outside of my bubble, like majority of people in this world aren't okay with us, you know, and and it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard to kind of accept that and not even accept that, but just to be like, that is, that is the reality when you step outside of your, you know, love bubble or, or your safe bubble, um, so when you went on tour, because I feel like this kind of leads into that, which was something yeah. I wanted to ask you, because I, when I was watching one of your lives, you had talked about going on tour, and I think something had happened. I don't know if it was in Philly or somewhere. I think you were evacuated because somebody had a gun, or mm-hmm. there was thoughts that somebody had a gun. And then it kind of just got me thinking about what that tour was like for you, because was that the tour that you did with G Flip? Yes. Okay, so when you guys are going through, like, where you're going to go, and yeah. your safety a i just want to know where you find the courage to overcome the fear to go and perform at those places because you are putting yourself in mm-hmm. a possibly unsafe condition you don't know what crowds yeah. are coming in and who's coming yeah. to see you, especially after being put on a page like that and yeah. then you know you go and tour so how do you find the bravery and courage to to step out of that fear and continue to do what you do and show up for all of your fans and you know 
the queer population that deserve to have people on stage, um, you know, sharing what their talent is with us. But also, what steps do you take to ensure that you're trying to be as safe as you possibly can? Yeah, I uh, so the first tour I ever went on was last last year. I went with Lauren Sanderson and it was actually my wife who before I went, she was like, I need you to realize like where you're going. Like this was like we had we were going more south on that tour. So like I think we were driving through states like Alabama, you know, to get mm-hmm. through places and um and she was like I like I I love you and I and I'm worried when you're gone and all that stuff. And she's like, I know that you obviously talk about your identity on stage, but like you need to in certain states, like you need to not be alone in certain places. Like you like she basically like and she made me I didn't even think about that. And so mm. she was really she was the one who like really like woke my eyes up where I was like, Oh, like yep. you're right. Mm. And so especially on this this tour um with, with G Flip, um, you know, I have I have two people with me on tour and and one of them is also uh non-binary but um basically we were like all right here's the deal like we need to always be together especially when we get to certain parts of the country um and when i go to like gas stations for example to use the restroom uh that can be hard depending on where i am i don't really ever know which one to go into i kind of just have to gauge the room um if ideally they're single stalls and i don't have to worry about it but um Usually, like, we would, my tour manager is a cis woman, so she would, like, anytime we went to the restroom, usually we just, the three of us always went together, and we, neither neither me or my uh, non-binary uh, keyboardist would go alone. So, it's always, like, stuff like that where it's, like, at least we're with someone, like, so, so we have, we had, like, a routine of how we did stuff, like, use the bathroom and stuff, but when it comes to being on stage, like, I don't know. I think part of it is, if I'm honest, like there's a little bit of ignorance is bliss a little bit. I mean, I think I haven't, I've been fortunate not to have had to deal with necessarily anything dangerous to me yet, like just purely of who I am. So I think there's a part of me that's like, if I really am honest with myself, I think there's a part of me that's like, oh, it's, I'm okay. Cause like this, there's all these queer people in this room and you know, it's, but then it's the moment I'm off stage and I'm, I'm, I'm reminded like, I remember like where we are, where we're traveling. And I don't know, I think, I think just like being on stage and just seeing and, and feeling like how important it is to be in that space and to celebrate queerness in that space. And, and for me, I, I, anytime I play a show, I want anyone to feel like if they can't be themselves at home, that this is a place they can be themselves. This is a place they can celebrate themselves. That there's, this is, this is, this the safest of spaces. And oh, so if I so can beautiful. provide that, if I can provide that by being vulnerable on stage and, and being an example there, then I want to do that. Um, but as long as I'm aware, you know, it, it comes like, so I think, the, I think the only time, like when we were in Nashville, I think I remember it was very small, crowded venue. Obviously Nashville is, you know, it's its own bubble, but Tennessee is not a great place for trans people. Yeah. Um, and I remember there was a, so my tour manager who's also selling the merch is in the back of the venue. And she had told me like there were some people that she just didn't got weird vibes from. And that was the only venue where like nothing, nothing happened. Um, like I'll preface it, but but she was like, I was that was the first time she she told me like that was the first time while I was on stage that she felt like she like had like a uh she like pulled out her like pocket knife in her hand just in case because she felt this weird 
she, we're obviously on edge because of where we are. So totally. I'm glad I'm very I'm glad that everyone's aware. But like when she told me that I was like that was the first time where I like was kind of reminded of like totally could be a chance that in a, in a state like Tennessee that people target like queer shows like that has obviously like you know when we talk about like wolves and stuff like that like we that unfortunately is 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 real and happens yeah and i think just even her having the fear in that moment and telling me post-show was a wake-up call of like oh shit yeah like this is very real like we can talk about let's be safe and precautious but the first time she and she's very tough like when she feels fear you know it's real yeah and so i was like okay like uh, you know they ended up leaving nothing happened but like for her to have that and you know tell me that she felt like she was ready to do something i was like all right like that is what comes with and i, I think i think what would i wish uh you know it also just comes with like hoping that venues are aware when they're hiring trans acts and and, and aware of where they are and i think you there needs think, to be also more right. of a responsibility on like venues and shit yes 100 percent. Um, i agree like i feel like that is 100 percent where it needs to start is yeah know, awareness and with people actually being allies, not just trying to make a quick buck off of trans performers, yeah. but yeah. ensuring the trans performer's safety first and foremost. Yeah. So it's like, it's, um, it's, uh, it's always in the back of my mind, depending on where we're traveling. And, and it's really the most, the most nervous I honestly get is when we're in like the middle of nowhere and I'm using the restroom because, yeah. you know, there is, when you get in the middle of America, it is scary out there. And I've, I've had, you know, it does. I'm, I'm, I go quickly in and out of there. I am as fast as possible. Yeah. Um, depending on where I go, sometimes I'll wear like a big hoodie and go into the men's room and just like, you know, kind of wobble a little bit and just like mm -hmm. put on this like masculine energy. Um, but it's, it's hard. It sucks that I have to like decipher like which restroom is going to be safer for me today. Yeah. Um, but usually that's, that's the scariest part of being on tour is, is when we're not in these big cities and stuff. And again, like it's a conversation about going to the bathroom, like something so simple that everybody has to do that trans people, it be literally becomes a like mental mind game of where am I the most safe? And even yeah. then, I don't feel safe in this situation. I'm just choosing the lesser of two evils, but exactly, both are yeah. equally terrifying, you know, and that's and just. It's wild because if you were to ask people like who are, you know, weird about that and like, what do you want me to do? Poop yeah. outside? You know what I mean? Like, like I got to do it. Like, yeah. so you tell me your solution. Then. Totally. But why it's don't like, I just it comes pee on from... your leg. Like, is that what you're yeah, looking for? Right? A golden shower? Like, I don't really understand why you're so infatuated with where I pee. But like. Yeah. And they're just like, I think it just also is so such deep this deep idea that like well you're doing it to yourselves because you're choosing to be trans so you have to now deal with the fact that we don't accept you yeah and i can sense that a lot when we talk about restrooms and stuff is uh there's that idea because when you really do look in someone's eyes and you're like what do you want me to do where mm -hmm. do i go like especially like when people start talking about like restrooms meaning to be for your sex assigned at birth and you have a trans man with a like a full beard like very like full beard very cis-assuming and then you say, okay, where do you want this person to go? Because based mm -hmm. off your logic, they're a woman. But, you know, and then when you, it's like, it's always funny trying to get a, you know, gotcha with transphobes. But 
realizing how silly it all is is, is quite ridiculous. But um, it is. It's just. It's like I just need. To, I need to pee. It's not that big of a deal. Totally. And in that logic, they would rather have my partner Cass go into the bathroom and me go into the men's, which doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're the uh, the whole thing. It just the logic makes no sense. Makes no sense. And then trying to pin it as like, you know, feminine safety because trans women are you know, somehow going to assault a woman in the bathroom. It's, you know, all of the statistics show the exact opposite of that. The trans feminine person is at most risk in that bathroom and they're literally just trying to pee. And, you know, it just, it, we can go on and on about this, but. Yeah, the bathrooms are, I just, I, it is just, it's comical how, how obsessed people are with it. When I'm like, when you really think about like what we're doing is like just such a, it's just said, just trying to pee and get out of there, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's hard when you think about that feeling of unsafety, though. Me and Cass had talked about going to a music festival mm-hmm. um, that is in West Virginia. It's a, a rock festival. And we were mm-hmm. so excited and we had to go, um, I think, to, I can't remember if this is before New York or after New York. We had to go to New York for work and then we were going to the UK for a bit. And so we were just going to road trip from here yeah. in Vancouver all the way up to West Virginia and then fly out from there to where we needed to go. And just in trying to do research of where we should be driving through became this huge thing of, are we safe doing this? And also, like, yeah. are we safe at this festival? And are we, yeah. know, are we putting ourselves at an unnecessary risk? And I was just like, like nobody understands what it's like traveling as a trans person and this isn't you know going and traveling to the middle east this isn't traveling you know anywhere where it's considered illegal to be us but this is traveling in our backyard and it's still even places in alberta right now are just so Mm -hmm. fueled by hate and and segregation of people it's just it's scary to think of okay well where can i go (laughs) Yeah. Like I was, I was at the gym with my brother the other day and um, he wanted to go swimming after a workout. And I was like, sure, I'll join you. And then all I wanted to do was swim. It's all I just wanted to go swimming. Right. And the, it turned into me having to figure out like, okay, how, how, where do I go change? Which, because the only way to get to the pool also was through the lockers, which was stupid design. Yeah. And so I was like, if I go, I, I, do not feel comfortable going in the women's locker room by myself because especially in locker rooms, it's scarier because people are undressed and showering. Like it is a lot more intense for me. It's a lot scarier for me to navigate locker rooms. Um, so I didn't want to go there by myself because if I'm not with my wife, then I'm not, I do not feel safe going in there by myself. Um, so then I was like, all right, I made a decision to go in the men's locker room with my brother, um, which I have never gone into a men's gym locker room before. So that was also very interesting. But then I was like, cool. So when I get in there, I, I need to now go instead of publicly changing everyone else. I had to go find a bathroom to go change into and then like and then like keep my shirt on and then like go swim. And then like now I have to go like into the like it was this whole thing of like I have to figure out how to safely just get ready to go swimming. I'm just trying to go swimming and it's turning into this like mental gymnastics. Totally. There's 50 extra steps for something that nobody else would even consider a thought. Regarding. Right, and if and if they, there's aren't there wasn't even one single gender neutral restroom, and that would have just solved everything too. If I could just go in there and change them, yeah. But like, and the fact that you had to go through a locker room to get to the pool is also frustrating. But like, it was, mm. 
I'm very also lucky to be have been with my brother, who's like the world's greatest ally besides my wife. Um, and you know, he's he's very much like he's making sure I'm okay. He's he's following my footsteps of what I need. But I was texting my wife during it because again, like this is what her thesis is literally on. And I was like, "You're working on your thesis, and I'm quite literally having to navigate how to." just go swim you know yeah to the point where i was like maybe i don't go because it's like too much to figure out and i'm like that's just so frustrating and and, totally. such a, and defeating to be like yeah i don't get to do something that i wanted to do that's really simple because i'm now doing mental gymnastics like you said right about how the fuck to do this safely yeah and um you know in, in the it's just it's just so silly like <laughs> And again, like if, if there is one thing, even just one gender interaction would have solved my issue. Yeah. But the fact that there's, there's not even that alone is, is stupid, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just, it is just, again, like you said, it's like, this is very, not very, but like minimal compared to other places where it's, it's, you know, illegal and, and, you know, and uh, I'm, we both understand being in North America is, is a lot different, but still like the fact that that's, this is like just a daily occurrence um and people just want to dehumanize and be little trans people all the time and and, and villainize us and be like what do you like you know just mock and it's just it's just so it's so exhausting it is exhausting and i think that i i definitely have days where i wake up um and and so does my partner, where we just kind of look at each other and we're like, our capacity is low today. Or, you know, yeah. news will come out about something happening. Or we'll see something on social media. Um, or we'll have a friend reach out to us and share news. And it's just, you know, we're both we're both big advocates in the trans community, you know, cast specifically in Vancouver, uh, and me with one of our companies. And there's just days where you're like, I, I can't advocate today. I, I need yeah. to go inwards. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. I'm like, I feel defeated by the world. But yeah, for me, it's conversations like this that really spark that inspiration and drive for me to be like, oh my God, okay, we're not alone. We have allies yeah. everywhere. There's people going through the same experiences um, yeah. that are also feeling exhausted and we are going to lift each other up and we're going to get out of this and we're going to feel good. And that's kind of the, what I hope that the trans youth that are feeling that overwhelm right now and that anxiety and that just unsettling exhaustion of why can't I just exist in this world? Yeah. Um, you know, there are people that are fighting so that you can, and we're going to keep fighting. We're not going to stop fighting. We're here. Um, you know, we're going to keep doing what we can do to fight the good fight and and make sure that every kid feels safe and valued and allowed to be themselves wherever they are. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, when you first discovered, kind of off topic here, but when you first discovered the the healing qualities of music for you, because I relate very much to that. Like I have mm -hmm. such a a healing space when it comes to music that I've you know created for myself and and had people um now create with me when it comes to music. How did you? find that like music was your therapy but it was also something that was going to propel your life forward i think uh as cheesy as it sounds it's i've been doing music my whole life like i it's all i've ever known um i grew up in a fairly musical family i was always encouraged to do music my 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 dad one of the greatest things i think he did as a parent was 
he me and my brother and I always have to do one sport and one instrument. We got to pick and we could change it, but it was always we had to be doing one sport and one instrument. Oh, I love so, that. Um, I played soccer my entire upbringing. Um, I played for like 18 years and then I started with piano and then I took guitar lessons and did vocal lessons. Like I was always, we had a grand piano in the home, like my dad sang. So when I always played piano together, like I was, all, I'm very lucky that my, my doing music was always highly encouraged. It was never, it was never ever like something I couldn't do. It was always celebrated. Um, and so I'm very grateful for that. So I never felt that pressure. Um, so it's just something I always was doing. I always was singing and, and, and writing and just always listening to music. And I remember when I put out, like, one day I was like, oh, I'm just going to put out, like, a, like I'm going to put out a song on Spotify this time. Like, I, you know, I uploaded YouTube videos and stuff like that, but I I'd put out a, um, a couple songs on Spotify. And I had one cover, um, like, somewhere on the we know, started doing really well on Spotify. Um, like, an algorithm just did well so i started to see a little bit of uh, i think that was the first song i i heard from you actually amazing yeah so yeah. i started getting a little bit of success on spotify obviously like online i was building like my own you know just being a queer person in a queer relationship you know me and my wife met on tumblr so like we had a little bit of like a following for our relationship so uh. it was just like i just i was just doing music and people resonated with it and it just just naturally i got very lucky that it just naturally connected with people and just started to build and um i just there wasn't any a part in me that felt like anything else felt right like i never i didn't know i could get to the point that i am now and, and where i'm continuing to build but i just was like i just kept doing it and i was just doing it while i was in school and putting on music and and just kept following a path and things were falling into place and it just felt very like like divine for me like it was what's mm. meant to happen and and it's all I've ever known and always knew what I was meant to do and so I kind of just was like following just following life and and just seeing where it takes me and and it feels very clearly like this is my path and what I'm meant to be doing I think that shows in your in your writing too because it's I think a lot of people try to write music that moves people and then there's just people that are born with the gift of storytelling and how they express through their music and that's definitely something that you have where you oh, can put on you. any one of your songs and you can place yourself in that emotion so deeply and like really feel and be moved by it and that's also kind of how I've used music to heal is mm -hmm. by allowing myself to go into those spaces that people create with their music and feel that and then apply that to my life and when I felt that way and then you know, go through my healing journey yeah, that's, as a tool. Yeah, that's how I felt. Like, I, I always love, like, I resonated with so much. Like, music was, is, like I said, always has been a thing. I always was listening to music. And, and I, I, it would just really help me feel certain emotions. And, and then I was like, I, it's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm not great with words when it comes to just, like, writing. Like, writing essays or just, like, journaling or anything. Like, I'm very specifically, like, when it comes to, like, lyrics, that's what I'm good at. And so uh, it just kind of was this way of me to like journal in a way for myself of like, I, like you said, like I felt what it was like to find the song that helped me through something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, so I can also do that for myself. I mean, it turns out I could do it for other people as well. You know, and Amazing. it just, it was a way that I could put to paper, like what I was feeling and, and processing it. And then also on top of like 
the feeling of a song coming together is so special and, and so inspiring to me. And to know you've written a good song also feels great. And also knowing that and, and the feeling of knowing other people are going to hear it and, and resonate with it or, or interpret it in the way they do. Like all of that is part of this, like just, it just feels so inherent to me and feels like very, I guess, divine. And um, it also just like helps me through a lot of stuff. Um, so yeah. I love that. So something that I struggle with, and this was actually a complex I had about the podcast, is my voice. And I think it's something that a lot of trans experience has struggled with from one side or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, I would, you know, do interviews sometimes or anything, but anything involving my voice, it's funny, like pre-transition, it was always like, oh, you sound like a girl, like blah, blah, blah. Then mm -hmm. I transition and it's never, you're not girl enough. Like now you sound yeah. like a boy, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. like, hey, fuck, I can never impress you. But right. it, I, I developed a complex about my voice, which it's, it's very challenging as a trans advocate because you're trying to use your voice, but then you're also self-conscious of it. But you want to, I just, I wanted to find my confidence. And when we talked about doing a podcast, I originally said no. Um, because I didn't want to hear myself just yeah. in conversations constantly. And in music, that's something that I really struggled with. Like, I, I wouldn't consider myself a great singer at all, but I love singing and it's something yeah. that brings me happiness. But when I listen back to anything that I've like jokingly recorded, it's always like, yeah. oh, you know, I I really struggle with how that sounds and feeling like my voice isn't completely matching my gender identity. So I'm wondering right. if you've ever had a struggle like that. Um, and if you had, you know, to any trans musicians out there that are struggling with that, what your advice would be to them? Amazing. Um, so it's actually interesting. The only, I don't feel that way when it comes to hearing my singing. I only really feel that when I hear my speaking voice. Um, really? Sometimes, mainly when I hear, like when I was younger and I hear my music, then I'm like, okay, well, also I was like, a teenager so of course my voice was like felt younger and, and I was like that sounds so like girly or whatever but I really surprisingly don't feel dysphoria when it comes to my singing voice like um I I don't know I just it doesn't I don't feel that but I feel it with my speaking voice sometimes mm -hmm. not always but I think I I especially like if I'm uh on the phone like or sometimes in interviews I find that like that like a fab urge to like you know, sound nice and, and very soft and dainty. Yeah. And, and I, I'm trying to unlearn that because it's also like, it's not even just tied to like my transness, but just like unlearning that gender role of like having to sound a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, but I really only feel it when I, uh, when I, when I'm speaking. So like if I listen back to an interview or a podcast, so that's when I'm kind of like, ah, oh, I hear my voice certainly. But if I'm hearing my voice singing, I'm always like pretty good you know i don't i don't hear that well, you're amazing so i'm glad Thank that you. you can recognize that as well but i don't hear the same dysphoria but so, like there's sometimes i wish like you know I, I think about like my voice my speaking voice i'm like okay i wish it was a little deeper or something but i don't really feel anything as strong as like the other places in my life that i have dysphoria but i uh it's interesting because i, I i'm curious too, so i'm not on testosterone but i i've been curious about microdosing testosterone um however the, the downfall with that is you can't delegate where you want the testosterone to work or the mm -hmm. hormones to work mm -hmm. you know like i know what i would like it to do 
but I can't tell my body don't touch my vocal cords. You know what I mean? Like I can't, yeah. I can't do that. And and that's the one thing that is irreversible. So there's that's what's preventing me from ever trying that because like I love my singing voice. I feel very connected to it, and I would be heartbroken if that were to ever change. And I would never want to risk that. So that's actually, if anything, I struggle with is that is like I would. For my for my dysphoria in gen in general, I would love to try microdosing testosterone, but I hate it because I don't want to change my voice. Yeah, and it's obviously like my career and who I am. So, um, if anything, that's where I get that kind of disconnect is in in this the one it's like the one thing I can't I don't want to risk. Um, yeah, but I think um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think um, one thing that helped just like. For me, when I did, anytime I do feel, you know, a certain way about my singing voices, um, I've written so many songs in so many different keys and realizing um, one thing that helped is like learning like what range felt the best for me. Mm-hmm. And like, I know now kind of, I have an idea of like what key is like, not only just like, e- like easy for me to sing, but also feels right in the way that I'm performing it feels like right in a gender sense of like feels yeah. like in that way um so like i feel like that would be maybe thinking of any advice is like figuring out like you know you can play around with ranges and keys and figure out what feels the best for you as a musician but also as a trans musician mm. um rather than that like i really don't my dysphoria about my voice really comes when i'm speaking mm. which is it's interesting funny that I, it, yeah I, I know it's we all i think at some moment or another well, Hate listening to ourselves as people, not even just as trans people, yeah. as people. Right. I think you hear yourself and you're like, fuck, it's oh my very, God, what is that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think with trans people, there's obviously a bit of an added um like depth to it because sometimes you're like, oh my God, that doesn't sound at all like what I feel like inside. And yeah. it's almost that reminder Absolutely. of looking in the mirror and being like, oh, I don't look at all what I feel like I should look like. You know, you get that like auditory version of that. So I think, yeah, it's interesting to hear that, you know, playing around with keys and how that isn't something that is a vocal point for you, because I've heard, you know, from a few musicians that that was something that they were nervous of. Like I talked with Lucas, who's the lead singer of The Clicks that I was telling you about um, before, uh, and they transitioned throughout. So the first record that they put out um I, I believe and I may be kind of fucking up this timeline but I believe the first record came out and they were identifying as lesbian and had not mm-hmm. been on any hormones and then I believe the second one was they started transition and then the third um was kind of where you can really hear the difference in their yeah. tone and performance mm-hmm. so I think you know it's it's always interesting and it's it always amazes me the courage that trans people find and the tools that they create to develop and and find comfort and love themselves. And I think that everything that you're doing is just, it's so admirable and it's something that I get to take away from like leaving this conversation today. I just, I feel so full and grateful and great that Aww. there's people like you in the world and um, that you're not afraid to share your talent and that you're being loud for the youth and for people around and you know you're such an advocate and such a wonderful person for 
trans youth to look up to you. So thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It means a lot. And I thank hope you. this is something that we can um, circle back to at a later date and have some new ideas on a couple of these topics and uh, see Absolutely. what the has happened. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you having me and, and allowing me to, you know, for giving me the platform to speak a little bit. And I appreciate it. Of course, absolutely. Anytime. You're always welcome at the Braveyard. Amazing. I will be back. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys got as much out of that as I did. There's something so magical as a trans person being able to sit down with another trans person and just have open dialogue about our journeys that creates such a safe space to be able to share. And I just, I got so much value from this conversation. It's really rewarding to sit down also with somebody that you just have adored and been such a big fan of and then be able to just have such a beautiful human experience with so i hope that this conversation has brought you as much love and happiness as i got from it coming up next week we also have an amazing guest from netflix the circle season one we have sammy cimarelli in the house she is an LGBTQ advocate, but honestly, just an advocate for absolutely everybody in the world. She's an all-round, absolutely fantastic person, and it's such a great conversation that I learned so much from. I can't wait for you to hear it, so make sure you tune in to the next episode with Sammy Cimarelli. One last thank you to Miki Ratsula for coming on, and we'll see you next time at The Braveyard.